morning, everyone, and welcome to another Sunday Roast. We have two wonderful guests with us back again. Uh, ben, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Ben Chambers. I do a little radio show podcast, um, uh, 16 Million Rising, uh, abbreviated to SMR, as you can see here on my top, um, which originally stood, of course, for 16 Million Rising, but now definitely stands for Single-Minded Rejoiners, which is, of course, what we are. Um, that goes out every Monday from six o'clock on all podcast platforms, on Alexa, just say 16. Alexa, play 16 Million Rising podcast, as you will, uh, on Mixcloud, on various websites, including um, the March for Rejoin website, um, and, uh, yeah, I've been doing that for nearly eight years now. And after six months, I thought we'd all have it licked, but no, we're still in pretty much the same situation that we are in. And I've been very lucky over the past few weeks to do some interviews with people that, um, I admire very greatly. I had the, the chance to speak to Ken Loach, um, following his last film, The, The Old Oak, which was fascinating. And an upcoming director called Paris Zarsilla, who's just directed a film called Raging Grace, which is an immigrant horror. It's in that new genre, the immigrant horror film, but very much on board with, um, you know, with our philosophy, with our sort of worldview. So it was great to talk to him as well. Um, and promoting new upcoming pro-European anti-Brexit, anti-Tory artists. They all seem to conflate these days, but uh, no, it's good fun. It's good fun. And of course, doing that has brought me into the your spheres um, as uh, trusted talking heads, people that, you know, um, shoot their mouths off about everything under the sun like like I do, but actually know more about it than I do. So it's, it's always good to sort of defer to you guys, but uh, great to be in your company again. Wonderful to have you back again. Um, Rob, can you tell us a bit about yourself for anyone who's new to the show? Yeah, hi, my name is Rob Groves. I run the Truth to Power channel on YouTube. We've been going for a couple of years now, um, tackling subjects from Brexit through to Tory corruption and incompetence and uh, just looking forward to the day when um, we can get rid of this rotten shower. There's a bit of incompetence at the <laughs> on the go at the moment. Um Alex, my wonderful co-host, can you tell us a bit about yourself for anyone who's new to the show? Hi, I'm Alex, also known as Political X. I'm an author, historian, a bit of a football coach. Max, can you introduce yourself, please? My name is Max. I run the Robespierre channel where I talk about Brexit and British politics. Alex, what's our first topic for today? God, there's so much, isn't there? There's never, a, like, we were, we were sort of debating, is there going to be something in the morning that like, comes out? Like, Sunak has just put his foot in it every single day this week, hasn't he? Rob, how how bad is Sunak in putting his foot in his mouth? Yeah, I mean, everything you could say against the guy. Um, you know, the fact that uh, he, he seems to be increasingly right wing. He's obviously our first oligarch prime minister. Previous prime ministers have acted on behalf of the oligarchs, but he's actually one of the, that set. Um, but, you know, all the arguments I have with his politics, the sort of the anti-immigrant rhetoric and all the ways that he marginalises minorities um, as a way of sort of firing up the, 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 the Tory base. Uh, putting that to one side, I, I think the main fact with Sunak is he's just a very bad politician. He's not very good at politics. Prime, uh, the Prime Minister's questions this week. Uh, you know, the, 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 after having been told by Starmer um, that the, the grieving parents of a, a murdered transsexual uh, were in the gallery, he goes ahead and, and decides to pick on the transgender community as a way of making a political point against Starmer. Uh, you know, there are even Tories, sitting MPs coming out and saying, actually, he's crossed the line there. That's just too much. But of course, that's just one of, of, of many gaffes that he's made. Um, 
from, from the famous uh, video of him standing in Tunbridge Wells saying that he was going to take funds off deprived urban areas to uh, re-divert them to leafy Tunbridge Wells. Uh, <laughs> um, the famous clip where he said that he's got friends from the upper class, middle class and the working class. Ah, not the working class. I mean, he, you know, he, the guy knows he's being filmed. I'm sure that's before he even became prime minister. But th there's a pattern there throughout his life. He's just gaff strewn. I've got friends who are at uni with him and mm. they all said he was just in his room didn't come out and socialize apart from a bit of table football and you're like it's it's yeah. showing he's just a robot is he a robot what do you think ben well i mean i was just thinking as rob was speaking there hasn't he given himself or been given the opportunity to demonstrate yet again a series of gaffes live on air because i believe he's hosting jacob reese moggs um now is it monday night show on gbb's yeah which i, I mean you it, 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 under the normal rules of engagement, you'd think, no, surely that can't happen. But of course, well, you know, we, we've got every Tory under the sun on that channel anyway, interviewing other Tories. He's going to be, I mean, he has su such a very limited range of skills, whatever they are. I'm pretty sure hosting, I was going to say a primetime TV show, but about 17 people watch, don't they? Is not one of them. <laughs> So I, 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 I mean, I, I always say on my show, I watch GBB so you don't have to. And sometimes it is incredibly <laughs> painful. But this is one I'm, I mean, my friend um, Graham last night was saying, can we get tickets? We want to get, it's in Darlington. It's going to be filmed in Darlington. And he said, um, we ought to get tickets and go and ask a few questions. But I'm in two minds about whether to legitimise GB News by, well, even by watching it, but certainly not by appearing on it. Mike Gowsworthy famously turned up last week, I think, and he was talking to David Davis and... Uh, uh, Nigel Farage, and it was shouted down with a two-to-one panel against him. And he, he, I mean, he held his own up pretty well, and he, he got his point across, but it wasn't great. Um, so I, in terms of Sunak's skill set and abilities, you do have to wonder. I mean, he's had a real week, hasn't he? I mean, the accidental bet that he, the, he's, he's claiming now, oh, I, I didn't realise it was a bet. Well, you know, shaking when Tom, someone talks about a figure in mind is the universally accepted symbol for accepting a bet um, uh, at the expense of vulnerable people's lives uh, over Rwanda. And then the day after that, of course, his um, trans teenager jibe. I mean, I don't know whether someone writes that for him uh, or not, but he had the opportunity to pull out. You know, he he knew that um, uh, Esther Jai was in the, uh, the, the gallery but he went ahead anyway. But what no, what struck me about that story was more that he then went on to gaslight the entire nation, um, uh, to gaslight the entire nation by claiming that it was Keir Starmer who effectively brought it up and was trying to score political points off it, not him, when it was he who brought it up. Uh, his response to um, Brianna's father, who said, yes, who, who, yeah. who demanded an apology. And Sonic was like, um, oh, you know, uh, it's about Keir Starmer. It's about Keir Starmer. It was ridiculous. And that's the other unfathomable thing, because all he had to do was say, you know what? Yeah, I, I completely got that wrong. I, I really did. I'm I'm very, very, very sorry. Please accept my apologies. It was totally an inappropriate um, thing to have said. But he can't do that. I mean, it literally is the, the very definition of someone continuing to dig down when they're in a hole. Um, so God knows what he will expose uh, presenting this show um, next week on 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 GB News, but uh, it could well be dynamite telly. Alex, isn't isn't this illegal? Yes, yes. Ofcom. Yeah, yeah, you can't have MPs interviewing each other. What's the point? Mm. Like that's. I mean, we can we can make all the criticisms we want about the BBC, but they'll pro 
put themselves, the presenter will put themselves when they're interviewing someone as the opposite side of the argument. So there's always mm. that classic thing of Ben Shapiro versus Andrew... Andrew Neil. Andrew Neil, where Ben Shapiro starts saying, oh, you're some left-wing nut job. And Andrew Neil just laughs in his face and is like, oh, you have no idea how wrong you are. Uh, and, <laughs> and just absolutely uh, triggers Ben Shapiro um, quite eloquently. But, it, you know, that's what you're expecting. You don't want, I mean, we, I say this, we're an echo chamber in many respects. We'll have some disagreements, but at the same time, what you're expecting is to have some sort of impartiality to ask direct questions and actually go for the gullet if they're making nonsense. No, no, but but it's also different. None of us are MPs. So you're going to yeah. have a situation, like with Mog, you, had this, you have a situation where he hosts his own show where he interviews fellow Tory MPs, which is against the rules. And this would be the ultimate breach of that because you have the prime minister who will be probably interviewing Tory MPs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know who the, who the lineup is, but if you have a situation, just imagine for a moment, the prime minister is holding, and there's also a rule um, that you're, you're not supposed to speak directly into the camera because then it becomes yeah. a political broadcast. And of course, Rishi Sunak is going to do that. He's going to speak directly into the camera. But Max, so, Ofcom have, Ofcom have washed their hands of this by claiming that they believe GB News to be a current affairs channel as opposed to a news channel. But of course, it has the ticker tape running across the bottom. It has half hourly or hourly bulletins where they actually do give you an almost straight laced sort of approach to the news. They give you the 30 second one minute bulletin. And yes, all the presenters speak to the camera. They all have incredibly biased opinions. It's Fox News, but but actually an, an awful lot worse than Fox News in some respects. So I I um I I shudder to think what will happen next week. But yeah, I mean, th didn't this interviewing Tories start with Esther McVeigh and Philip Davis on the Breakfast Show interviewing? I don't know whether it was Jeremy Hunt. It was something like that. You'd literally got three Tories in the room together. There was no pretense even at impartiality. I mean, I know that uh, famously on um, uh, Leanderthal's 30p Lee's uh, programme, he will invite a guest on who shares his views and sit in this mock-up of a pub with the, the right-wing guest on his table. And they have this lefty in the corner where they'll literally put somebody of the opposing view on a table by themselves with a drink in the corner. And, and people will go on. And I, I've been just staggered to see who is prepared to go on and be humiliated like that on this joke of a show. But no, I'm, I'm, I, I, would, I, I expect this broadcast to be sponsored by Ofcom. I mean, they, they've not just washed their hands of this this channel. They, they're enabling it to continue. And it's I can't get my head around it. It's because they've got no teeth in theory. But then it's also the yeah. fact that, you know, that Ofcom's probably been lined up by conservatives. No different to the BBC, which we discovered. Yeah. So they're all in it together i mean we're i'm teaching about mussolini at the moment i've actually written a book on it and looked at his rise to power and it's not that different like the system he's got a king he's got a group of people underneath him that can remove him and that's about it and you can pass any laws that you want you can set up anything that you want and i'm going how's that really that different to what we've got going on here you've got people able to lace up the bbc because they loan them money 800k loan to boris and then you get a position in the bbc like, I, we were talking about this the other day. How would you teach a politics class? I've taught politics. And politics class on, on, on UK politics and how the system works is basically, generally, you get to put an X on a box every five years. And if you want to have any influence, you've got to bribe your MP or, or do something horrendous for them. And that's about it. Like, there isn't anything else because you've got no say for five years once they're in power. I mean, this is the concern I have for, for Starmer. 
if he's not putting anything out in the manifesto, and if he's being quite vague in everything that he's doing, and he seems to be U-turning on a number of things, what's he going to do when he's in power? Is he going to be a good guy? In theory, he should be. I think most of us would like to think, based on his um, records outside of politics and all the work that he's done, he would be a good person. I feel like I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but it's a concern in general for our democratic system. I don't feel there's much and there's too much power put into Parliament. Max, Mm. any thoughts? No, it is concerning, but I think it always comes back to, once again, in in the short term, it's do you want the Tories to continue or not? No. And people are going to vote against the Tories. So um, on Newsnight on, was that Newsnight? No, it wasn't Newsnight. um, Question time on Thursday night. Um, uh, West Streeting was was talking, and he was asked about this uh, U-turn on the green energy or green policy, the twenty-eight billion. And he turned around and he said, and it was very clever. It was well done politically. He said, "Look, what we're not going to do is we're not going to promise things and then not deliver." Mm. He said, "We're not going to be like the Tories." Now, this sounds good politically, and the audience really uh, lapped it up. They were like, "Yeah, this is great." Now, finally, we have a politician who's going to tell it as it is and not uh, promise something and then not deliver it like the Tories did. But the problem with with this is that, okay, but what are you actually going to achieve? Because you need to resuscitate the economy. You need to invest. You need to spend money because the alternative is austerity. And we saw the the results of that 300,000 people dead as a direct result of austerity. So it's good politically to say to people, look, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be an absolute disaster that we're going to take over and we're not going to promise big, but you need to to do something once you're in power. Because after, you know, after the honeymoon period, the first hundred days, support for the party will drop unless they do something. And it's very easy then for the Tories just to say on the sit on the sidelines and say, oh, look, you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. Look, the economy is not improving. Um, unemployment is not um, going down. Uh, the inflation hasn't been dealt with. Uh, what about all the checks at the border? <laughs> what about the consequence of Brexit? So all of these things will be thrown in the in the face of the government and they have to do something if they want to hold on to power. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take power because there's so many problems. Like we still don't have any border controls. And like if there was another pandemic, what you would really have hoped is that people would have learned from what was going on in Asia and you'd have essentially hotels that people could move into to stop the disease coming in and they stay there for two weeks, get over the disease and you get the ability to have them come into society and society can carry on. Uh, I've cited Vietnam for that and they had economic growth during COVID, which no one ever talks about. Um, not, Not to purport or support the idea of having a communist state, but it's a sensible policy that, you know, you have this sort of barrier to protect you. And we're an island. You know, there there is opportunity to do that. Um, but that hasn't been done. That would cost hundreds of millions to do from scratch. And that's that's only one part of the problem. Uh, the way I see it is you've only got two routes economically. You go protectionist, which is, I assume, what the Labour Party are going to have to do. And you start to protect stuff like we've had issues with steel and Port Talbot. That's because the Tories seem to be going on this idea of free trade which is open it up to the entire world, let everyone in and the cheapest thing wins. And we can't compete with that. How do you compete with lower working standards in China or anywhere else in the world? It's really difficult. And because we've got higher working standards, it means that prices are higher. You've got the the pound as well, which, you know, collapsed after Brexit, hasn't recovered, but it's still a powerful thing that will increase costs and make it harder for us to sell products abroad or internally. 
So either you run down your manufacturing, which is what Patrick Minford said, or or you go protectionist and you shrink the economy and you put up barriers. There's the, you could maybe do a mix. It's pretty difficult to do. Uh, Rob, I can see you sort of praying there and nodding your head. Are you are you <laughs> hoping for some sort of salvation? <laughs> um, it's. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, just picking up on what you're saying. I mean, it seems to me that the Tories have decided to hold off on the election till well, the smart money is now saying the autumn. And they seem to be poisoning the ground, sorting the earth, as they call it, because they just want to make it as difficult as possible for Labour to, to make a success of the next term of Parliament. And that they're clearly not putting the nation first. You know, they're putting the Tory party first. And I think they're taking a very long term view. Let's fuck things up now so that the Labour Party come into power and they're just going to reap what the Tories have sowed. And it, the longer these guys stay in power, the worse it's going to be. Well, I, I mean, I, 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 I take Rob's point that it feels as if the easy answer would be, yeah, they're putting the Tory party first. But the Tory party is now fragmented into, <laughs> at the very least, the, the, the Marc Francois's five families. And we had just this week the absurd spectacle of the popcorns, the popcorn, the popcorns, which, I mean, from what I've seen, was again unfathomable i cannot get my head around how that is a thing why liz truss doesn't just curl up and die and shrivel away like an autumn leaf god knows but she keeps like a lettuce back. Ben. like but a she, lettuce you mean but she's she she keeps trying desperately to reinvent herself she's got no ability in front of a, a podium or a lectern to engage an audience she just looks lost uh, utterly lost wherever she is, not just in terms of what's going on inside her own head, but like someone, she just found herself in a room with a bunch of people in front of her and she's she's got to say something, whatever comes into her head. And then you've got Lee Anderson there, you've got Rhys Mogg there, who are, and, then, and of course the irony of them being the popular conservatives. What what does that mean? It's beyond people's front of Judea and Judean people's front now. I mean, so the, the Tory party themselves, the, the notion that they're putting themselves first yeah, ostensibly that that is what they're doing, but it's so fragmented what is left of the Tory party. I mean, I, looking back 10, 15 years, growing up with parents that I know voted Tory was my reason to not vote Tory, but at least I respected their political choice and the reasons they had, you know, as boomers for voting Tory. You know, they started off with left-wing ideals. They made a little bit of money. Um, they got settled. Well, now we'll start to vote Tory because they'll keep taxes low, small state kind of thing. And you look you look back at prime ministers like John Major and uh, and even Margaret Thatcher and think, well, I may not have agreed with 90 percent of what they were about, but I accepted they were a valid political choice. The Tory party of 2024 surely cannot be anyone's valid political choice. What kind of person are you? How how scrambled is your noodle if you honestly look at them now and think, well, A, I see a cohesive party and B, that's the party for me. Absolutely. I mean, you you bring up Lee Anderson. He was the one that got caught on camera. I, I don't even think he got caught. I think he just brazenly said it. The mm. only way we're going to win this is through a oh. culture war. Yeah. And it's going to be on trans issues. And lo and behold, Rishi Sunak says it in PMQs. And it's not the first time he was caught on camera saying stuff like that. It was a secret filming at one of the little uh, hub meetings that they held where he was taking the piss out of it. And you're just like, I, I want to believe it was a gaffe. Because it would be so crass and for it to be premeditated in the way that it, it, it could have been. 
for him to know, okay, so the, 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 the mother, a grieving mother of a murdered trans girl is in the gallery. This is the time to make this cheap political point. I mean, he, he, most people aren't that stupid. So but they can I, be that. I am tempted to be that prejudice. I am tempted to believe, yeah, there is a little bit more going on there. And he knew exactly what he was doing because it's almost like they had the gaslighting line of saying, well, actually, no, it was Keir Starmer that brought that up. It was Keir Starmer trying to score cheap political points over I, I think the, it, the death I, of a trans girl. So I, I, I don't know if it, it, it's it's hard to tell because we don't know the full details, but like what was going on in, in um, Sunak's mind. But one of the arguments is that there was a script and mm -hmm. he was following the script. And this mm. sort of this sort of gives me the impression that he he doesn't actually have a functioning political brain in the no, sense yeah that he doesn't he's not able to read a room he's not able to understand and we saw that before in numerous examples and this isn't a defense because like you're supposed to at least understand reality and the idea that um, we've seen it before with uh, when he's asked a question he just regurgitates the same talking point it's like oh what we're going to do is we're going to stop the boats blah 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 and he's asked the same okay but how are you going to achieve this we're going to stop the boats we're going to do this we're going to do mm. that and i think he had his script and he honest well, I, I, don't, I don't want to say honestly he just he didn't actually understand what was he wasn't able to understand oh wait a minute there's somebody in the room that this could be offensive towards but it's not like, like it's he offensive. hasn't done that sorry no no, no no yeah but but it, but it but even that isn't letting him off the hook because you know if brianna's parents or her mother wasn't there would he have still used it yes he would mm. so it, it wasn't just the fact that it's not bad to use it there, but it's bad to use it in general. It's just this is a tool we're go we're going to use um, a section a section of society as a as a tool to beat Keir Starmer over the head with and to help with the consequences yeah. for that section of society. But it's not like he hasn't done it before. He did it with working class comment. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, that's when he was a kid. So he's at university at that point, isn't he? So it, when he says that comment, so he's turning into an adult and he's setting his views into place. Obviously, that can change. But you're going, he said that on camera. I don't have working class friends. And you're mm. going, he knows this is a hot topic. Those questions that he's given, he's given those questions before PMQs so he can prep. Mm. Most people, a lot of people don't know that. So mm. someone has sat down with him and gone, how do we respond to these U-turns? Oh, I know. We'll make a comment about the 99%. And you're going, look, it's, it's pretty simple. I don't think he likes trans people. I'm happy mm. to say that. I, you know, I can't give a doubt anything would ever happen. I'm quite happy to say that. I think mm. he's got a lot of prejudices. Do you remember, like, I'll, I'll finish up on this, Ben, and I'll bring you in. Yeah, yeah, remember with the homeless person? Yeah. And he asked them, what are they doing as a business? Yeah. And it's either that's pre-programmed or that's subconscious bias. It, that's what I was going to say, because I think previously we'd put these, if you want to call them inverted commas, gaffes, down to his, not just his lack of empathy, but the fact that, and this isn't necessarily his fault, that he's, he's by definition, so out of touch with the vast majority of society, which he's demonstrated by the comments about the working class, what he spoke, the, the food bank or the soup kitchen where he was speaking to that homeless person. And at the time, I was thinking, you know, he genuinely thinks this is an appropriate conversation to have, to talk to this guy about his business aspirations. 
and and that's just because he's out of touch as a Tory, as somebody who's worth seven hundred million pounds, with a wife worth worth even more than that. How can he possibly identify with real people? And then of course you've got the gaff at the the gas station, the petrol station, where he's trying to pay for a can of coke with what well, he's trying to pay for his petrol with a can of coke or whatever it was, demonstrating he had no idea how to use a, a credit card, a debit card. So all those things I would previously put down to well, obviously he's not in touch with real people. He's he's on another planet. But then it starts to become a little bit more sinister when you start to think that, okay, this is more than just um, uh, subconscious bias. It is premeditated. It is thought through. And as as Lee Anderson said, all we've got to fight this election on is the culture war. So let's do it at every juncture. And that is whether it's by design or not. That is what they're doing. Mm. And that's what Keir Starmer did. Now, you would think anyone with even the tiniest bit of political nous. Uh, and an ability to read the room, knowing that Esther Jai was there, would not have made that comment. Most people, the, the, the overwhelming majority of people, would not have made that comment. They wouldn't have gone there. He did. And Keir Starmer's reaction to me, I mean, it wasn't that he was exploiting that gaffe. It was, I think it was genuine shock. Did he just say that? Did, yeah. Did, I mean, he did because actually he fumbled his words when Keir Starmer tried to respond to that. He he genuinely he was off script and it was like of all the days to to say that. And I wish the camera I don't think it did. It didn't cut no, it away didn't. to the front bench. Have, yeah, I'd love to have seen when Rishi Sunak was confronted with what he would just said and the response to it from Keir Starmer, what his initial reaction was. Was it that usual thing of looking down at his folder, shaking his head with the front bench laughing on? Because I know Victor, it was if Victoria Atkins was next to him when he, he made that comment in hysterics. So she was laughing. She was laughing. She, she was, she made she was the laughing. Comment. Yeah, and then I, if you notice, she was laughing, and then I think it clicked in her brain. Oh crap! Did you and then see, she suddenly changed her expression. Did you see the interview with Chris Fitt, who they yeah. rolled out in the morning? Yeah, and he referred to Brianna as him. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I, I don't know because it seems to be he was referring to Rishi Sunak. Okay. I didn't read it, I, but he was that using was my it, interpretation. I read it uh, as Brianna. No, no, and, I, and I'm, I'm not defending. And K, but K Burley, correct? I, no, I, mm. I had to listen to it twice to be able to come to that conclusion. I, I agree with that, but my conclusion was no, he was referring to Brianna. And you could see that Kay Burley pulled him up and then he just started blinking like quite rapidly and sort of looked down and sort of blinked rapidly as if he was like, shit, did I just say that? And he didn't correct himself. He had, mm -hmm. there was literally an opportunity there to correct himself. I think it was, again, you go, is that subconscious bias? And you're going, well, look what Lee Anderson has said, look what the Prime Minister has said caught off camera making comments as well and you're going same shit different day they don't like a certain this is no like margaret thatcher had the same thing with the hiv crisis where she announced that no school should be teaching about homosexual behavior and enlightening students that this is essentially a normal practice and just banned it and you're going, this doesn't seem that different with the transphobic stuff that we're seeing coming out of the government. And you're just going, this is this is the same repeat within history. This is the same party saying the same stuff and prejudicing against people that they can't, for whatever reason, either like or understand. It seems like this is a reoccurring thing within the party and history is repeating. Yeah, well, it's always about looking for somebody to blame or to, to punch down. So in the 1990s, it was single mothers. Single mothers are the problem in society. If we can resolve the problem of single mothers, then we'll be able to have a better society. Then it was, of course, um, people on benefits in the 2000s. And now recently, it's um, in the 
2010s, it was immigrants. And now it seems to be trans people. So there's always going to be somebody that is a scapegoat. Oh, look, these these people are the problem. We need to present these people as as the problem. And um, we are the only ones who are standing up to them. And it's always, if you look at it, it's always people who have no power. Mm. People have no influence and no power. So it's, they can't talk back. It's mm. populism again, isn't it? Again, you yeah. look at someone like Mussolini, he would, he would go, I'm going to take on the elites. Oh, and this minority group, these socialists or other groups the ones that are causing all the problems that's populism and the irony is these guys have come into power saying they're going to be anti-populists and they are uh, and, and take on the elites and they are the elites it's no different with what we're seeing over in the states with donald trump he's he's saying the exact same thing i'm going to take on the elites i mean he he was shrewder because he said in it was with hillary clinton wasn't it with with trump and we're going to go we're going to segue into trump and biden um he said probably one of the most powerful things that he did in the election against Hillary, which was, I know how to clean out the swamp because I know how to game the system because I've been gaming the system the entire time. And that one in votes because yeah. he was basically saying, I'm an elite, but I know how to game the system and correct it. Although afterwards, he basically benefited everyone in the United States that was within that elite group. He just deregulated everything and opened it up to the rich i'm just going to ask one one more positive thing because we've been quite negative for the last half hour if you could pick someone to admire from politics who would you pick rob ah oh, flipping neck <laughs> what they got to be a politician or i <laughs> just can be just... anyone from history if you want because there seems to be a limited <laughs> choice to the present well uh i mean it's it's a tough ask if you look at the, the current parliament but uh, i that there are some wonderful figures coming to the fore i think that are really sort of challenging the powers that be people like carol vorderman and james o'brien people like this i you know there are some really solid voices out there that are sort of um fighting against the system i think i just wish there are more of them in parliament um you were trying to be positive so i'm going to keep it outside parliament. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I, you know, there's some really good voices out there. Um, but um, yeah. Ben, Ben, how about you? Well, st sticking within the parliamentary parties and just looking at um, people on the opposition benches, because obviously th there's nobody left in the Tory party with a modicum of common sense or integrity or even a conscience. But I still maintain that um, for all the flaws with Labour policy and Keir Starmer and the front bench of the Labour Party, it is jam-packed full of people with integrity. There are people in that party that I think um, have an opinion about something and have had it for the, 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 the past five, ten years and haven't wavered that much. They are grown-ups. Um, I'm thinking of people like Chris Bryan, like Yvette Cooper, like Rachel Reeves, um, like Hilary Benn. They're decent, fundamentally decent, but flawed like all of us people. And I, I know it's very easy to say, well, anyone would be better than the Tories at the moment, so that's why we need them out and we have to accept we're going to get a predominantly Labour government. Um, but there are people still, I mean, it's a disaster as far as I'm concerned that uh, Caroline Lucas is stepping back from politics. Mm. It's it, it's worse than a disaster that good people like Mari Black felt bullied out of the House of Commons. And and I, I, I look at people like that and think that we need more people like them. So I agree with Rob that it's wonderful that um, people like with influence like Carol Vorderman have stuck to their guns and said, I'm not going to be bullied out of the job that I want to do, which is broadcast. Um, because of this ridiculous 
um, BBC bias, whatever, whatever the nonsense it was. I mean, she was with Radio Cardiff, I think, Radio Wales or something. She was doing a show there, and but she's stuck at it, and she's got her finger now in every pie imaginable. I mean, she's working with the Good Law Project. Um, you, you know, she's she's got something to say on the right side of history about virtually everything. So we need more people, particularly women, actually, of influence like her, doing what she's doing. So I'm encouraged by that. And I'm encouraged by the fact that the Labour Party and the, the Lib Dems are stuffed full of decent people, prim primarily decent people. And the bar has fallen so low that, of course, you know, it's it's easy to look at them and say, well, yeah, they're, they're, they're all right. We, 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 can, we can form a government with people like that. Um, in terms of political heroes or in terms of people right now in politics, I, I mean, I'm disappointed with a lot of them as well. So I'm disappointed with, um, say, for example, um, David Lammy who gave one of the most effective speeches against Brexit I've ever heard in the House of Commons, but is towing the party line because he sees a job as um, uh, a foreign secretary coming down the line, so he doesn't want to shake shake too many trees. Um, but that's the worst of it. I, I think, you know, I'm still encouraged there are people in politics who are there for the right reasons, and there's enough of them still to form a government that will at least begin to put some of this stuff right. So you, you've got to be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, Max? Um, historically, when you said historically, I thought of um, FDR, uh, Franklin mm. D. Roosevelt, who, you know, after the war, rebuilt um, and created the um, social security, created a bit like Attlee in, in Britain, who was, was fundamental when it came to the, um, the NHS. So po politicians, post-war politicians like that on the left who realized, look, we need to rebuild, not just rebuild the country physically, but we need to rebuild society as well and focus on providing for the for people and the poorest in society in particular. Um, recently, Gary Lineker, because I, I love mm. how he, he pisses off uh, everyone from GB News to Talk TV to just your your average racist or bigot down the street. Um, he just he just puts out a, a single tweet and they have a complete and utter meltdown. So mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that, that's what I love about Gary, and, and he and he sticks to his guns and and he's in a position. Um, he has such a following that he's in a position that you know people can say, oh, he should be sacked from the BBC, and he's like, okay, well, say what you want. The BBC need me more than I need them. So that's what mm -hmm. I love about Gary. And yeah. yourself, Alex? Lamp. <laughs> <laughs> the lamp. Just hail the lamp. Hail the lamp. It, it, all hail the lamp. Perfect. All hail the lamp. Uh, <laughs> Ben's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, I'm not, because the first time we had one of these conversations, the lamp featured quite prominently in discourse. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not at all surprised that you believe lamp would make... I mean, this is so <laughs> Anchorman. It is so Steve Carell. Lamp, I love. Well, well I prefer I prefer oh, the lamp to Joe Biden or Donald Trump, so I do a better job. I think. Yeah, I, I, I apologise as well because I, I it was Holly Valance who said that she loved Jacob Rees-Mogg and would have him as Prime Minister. That was the actual segue I should have brought in for for who you admire the most. But uh, yeah, like I'd rather have the lamp over Mogg any day. Like mm, it would mm. probably do a better job. Let's go was on to Holly, the nice. Go on. Was it was it Holly Valance's husband, the large Tory donor that defected to Labour yesterday? I've uh, heard that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Following following the meeting with with Jacob Rees Mogg and yeah, Liz Truss. Yeah. But Liz Truss is a secret. Is a secret uh, Labour Labour painter <laughs> or activist or something. <laughs> a sleeper agent. Yeah. Uh, Seems like they're just jumping ship to go where the power is. 
Yeah, that, that was a great day yesterday. Uh, just coming back, uh, Max, to what you were saying about Gary Lineker. I don't know if you saw his tweet yesterday. It was <clears throat> He basically did a theatre review of some play that he'd been to see, and people were piling on saying, Oi, Lineker, why don't you stick to politics? And tell you it was hilarious. Really good. Oh, oh God. The, the, the thread from yesterday. It was hilarious. So funny. Talking of leaders, Trump, Biden. Trump had, uh, no, sorry, well, Biden had a report come out. I'm not sure if it came out or if it was leaked, but it was from the special counsel suggesting that he was an old elderly man with a memory problem. And he came out guns blazing in the report. The press tried to have him. The There was a little, he came out blazing and then at the end, he didn't seem to have much of an argument over his memory. Like he couldn't, he didn't have a decent defense for that. But I thought, you know, come out guns blazing. And he said that the reason that he felt he'd had a memory problem is because I started asking him about his dead son. And if he remembered when the funeral was to which he was like, I don't really want to talk about it. You could see him choking up when talking about um, the memory of his son and remembering the anniversary. And you were like, wow, I don't think, I don't think I've ever seen a president choke up before on, on, on camera. Has anyone else ever seen that? What What do you? And, and on top of that, the bigger question is: Who do you think is going to win, and who do you think we're going to benefit from, either having Biden or Trump? Because it seems like that's it. I don't think Nick Nikki Haley's got a chance, although she's still throwing her weight into the elections. Uh, Max, any thoughts? So the, the, I saw a very interesting uh, interview with a guy um, who has been right about every presidential election since 1984. Um, is it 1984? Yeah, 1984. Yeah. Um, and uh, he pred- well, he he said he hasn't. He's for, he's leaning towards Biden at the moment because he's going to make his prediction in July. Mm-hmm. But he has said that he thinks that uh, Haley was it Nikki Haley is is staying in the race because she's hoping that Trump will be sent to prison so that she will become the default uh, nominee um, or candidate. So, but when it comes to when I watch Joe Biden, I feel like I'm watching somebody carry, you know, delicate China across a, an ice rink or something because you're expecting him just to to collapse or something. And it's really worrying because the alternative, like if something were to happen to him, he'd become incapacitated. Of course, Trump would would win. Mm. And and the idea of going back to Trump again, I really don't. This is unusual because we've never been down this road before. Usually when a candidate loses, they don't come back for another go. We saw like, you know, with uh, um, Hillary Clinton or whatever, like they they normally give up after that. And Trump is not doing that because he still believes there's a chance that he can win. Uh, And there is a chance that he can win. But I got a bit of hope from this um, this poll poll expert who said that, yeah. He's leaning towards Biden. He says because there, there's a very important thing is the incumbency benefit. So the advantage of being in the incumbent, and if they um, if they replaced Biden now, they would lose that benefit, and it would make it it would make it easier for Trump to win. So it, it, even though Biden is is really dodgy in the sense that he's you know he's not stable, um, it would be better for the Democrats to stick with him, and then yeah. maybe replace him after. Are you talking about, uh, I think it's Professor Alan Litzman. The yeah, that's it. That's keys it. To power. He wrote a book called um, The Keys to the White House. And he said, yes. he said, ignore all the polls. Uh, the, the, like you say, Max, the incumbency is worth two of the seven keys. So already, um, is it seven or maybe it's 11? 13. It's 13. 13. <laughs> there's 13. Oh, yeah, it's 11 left. There's, so there's the two for the incumbency. There's another 11. That's right. That makes up the 13. And and as, as you said, Max, if, if they replace Biden, 
Alan Lickman's uh, argument is that they they're losing two keys. But I mean, I, you know, just just on that, I mean, Lickman's coming down on the side of Biden. But I mean, if if you look at the polls and the polls aren't as I mean, the polls have not been terribly brilliant in, historically in the UK, but in the USA, they're even worse, which is why it's such an achievement that Lickman's called it right so, so many times. Um, but the underlying polls in America, actually, things have really shifted the last month. It's really going away from Trump now. Biden's opened up like a six point lead over him. And in some of the swing states, it's even bigger. So my 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 anxiety level about Trump getting back in is actually receding a little bit at the moment. Fingers crossed. Ben? Ben, what do you well, think? Well, my anxiety level has reduced a little bit now because of what, what Max and uh, and and Rob and, and, and yourself, Alex, have just said about uh, the, the situation with Biden. Because I mean, but before I think before we came to this conversation, I was thinking, how how can the Democrats have got themselves in a situation where the very best they can put forward against the possibility that the worst president America arguably has ever had will come back for another term is Joe Biden, who, yes, is fundamentally a considerably more decent human being than Donald Trump is, has his problems like anybody else. But he's 81 and he's going to be 85, 86 at the end of this next term. And yes, he, he clearly does have memory issues. I mean, confusing dead and living presidents in, in, in France and Germany, Mexican and Egyptian leaders uh, appearing to freeze mid-speech. None of that is great. And I'm surprised um, although I'm not disagree obviously not disagreeing, I don't know enough about American politics, that the, 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 the wind is still in his sails. And even despite all those problems he's got, it, it, he's got a six-point lead, you know, at this stage in the in, in the game. I mean, I feel like in 2016, for, lo for lots of countries, particularly the US and, uh, and the UK, we opened a Pandora's box that we have proved over the the the, the following years is, is impossible to close. Now we've allowed such populist leaders to, to get a foothold into power. And we've treated politics and, you know, the, the governance of our countries like a game show, like an episode of Love Island. We've Now we've opened that box. It's very, very difficult to shut the lid again. And I, I mean, I was having a conversation with um, my friend Graham last night about the possibility of Trump going to prison with 96 indictments against him, some of them incredibly serious, some that he can't pardon himself from, were he to become president. I think the Georgia, the, 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 the case there is one. I thought until recently that it was a done deal, that he would be convicted, he would serve jail time, and therefore he couldn't be president. But I'm starting to realise that that's clearly not the case. And that it worries me that with all that's at stake, that the Democrats haven't done more to ensure they have somebody that will easily beat him. Because it should be easy. It, it, it should be. And they haven't done enough. Uh, the problem I see is that Trump is just a wrecking ball. Anyone that goes up, at least within the Republican Party, anyone who's gone up against him, he's smashed. And, that, and then we include Hillary Clinton, who he nails with that comment, I'd have you in prison. Mm. And you're sort of looking at this and going, he's, I mean, there was an interesting comment. Most of the presidents, after they stop being president, they age quite a bit. Trump mm. didn't. No. He didn't seem to have aged. Now, we could talk about the mentality side of it. It's the Ron seal. <laughs> <laughs> he's this made the gaps. And Nikki Haley's yeah. really pinned it to him. Go on, Rob. Yeah. No, I was just going to say all the talk about Biden losing his memory and the cognitive abilities. And the trouble is that Trump is just so weird 
that people don't notice his cognitive decline since he was president is massive. I mean, he, talk about freezing mid-sentence. He has this little glitch. I mean, I've watched a lot of his, and he, he just suddenly changes the subject. His shoulder comes up like that. He's, he's really losing the plot, Trump, and it's only going to get worse over the next few weeks and months. Mm. He's, I, I would say that cognitively he's far worse than, than Biden, but because he's so weird, people just see this sort of orange gibbon, uh, and they fail to realise that... I mean, underneath it is actually a senile old man because he's not that far behind Biden in the uh, the age stakes, is he? It's about three, four years. Yeah. I'd rather, I mean, there's Kamala Harris. So you sort of go, well, if Biden really loses it, there is actual procedure. I don't think it's ever been initiated to remove the president. So if, for whatever reason. So Kamala Harris is in waiting. I mean, she seems to be disliked in America, not yeah. really gotten to the bottom as to what she's done. And the vice president position is very ambiguous. You can either have a lot of power if the president gives it to you, or you're just sat in the wings doing very little. And it's all down to the president. Uh, interestingly, Richard Nixon lost to JFK and came back. That's yes. that, that, that would be an exception. I'm going to ask a bigger question then to follow up, because it's a good question. When did this all start? Like, when, when did this all kick off as a problem? Because we seem to have populism coming across, across <clears> the planet. <throat> when did this... When did this all begin? Does anyone have an idea? I, I think it, it well, it's difficult to identify exactly when, but I think it was a case of when um, American TV changed. So back in the in the 90s when Fox News came in. So in the past, you had this idea of, okay, you had your news bulletin, and then we moved into this 24-hour news cycle where it's just about pumping stories, stories just to continually pump out something. And I think it really dumbed down um, it, it dumbed down t television, but it, and it dumbed down the news, but it also created this situation where you, instead of having opinion as something separate, opinion was weaved into news, and this really created a situation where politicians realized, okay, we can use this to our advantage, um, and then you can sort of skip ahead to twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen is the is really when things, when the you know what hit the fan. But um, before we were talking, we were about a silver bullet to all of this. And I've been thinking about this a lot. And unfortunately, it seems the only way we can get get through these things is to allow the, the populists or the far right to expose themselves as frauds. And the only way to achieve that is to allow them to run, run, the, run countries for a while. We saw it with Poland. Poland had a, a far right government for a while. And the, and the public realized they're 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 charlatans. It's a shenanigans. We need to get rid of these people. Same with Trump. People realize the reason Trump lost was not because Biden was popular or people wanted Biden. It's because people were tired of Trump. And the same with the Tories. People are, people are not voting for Keir Starmer. Well, some people are, of course. But the vast majority are like, okay, we're tired of this. We want them out. And mm. it's, this, it's going to be the same with Italy, with Meloni. If she's not able to achieve things, people will be like, okay, get rid of her. And the same with Gert Wilders in, in the Netherlands. You know, the, the, the far right are like, great, we have our guy now. He's going to change everything. He'll, he'll be able to change some things, but he'll, he'll, he'll run into reality. And, and, and eventually, if he's not able to improve things for people, then they're going to get rid of him. So unfortunately, we, we, we have this idea, we need to keep the far right out. And I understand that we need to keep populists out. But the, the more you try to keep them out, the more popular they become with the public, because the public become tired with the status quo. So you need to let them in, in a sense, allow them to burn themselves out. And then we return to some sort of normality. Now, maybe I'm wrong on that. 
it'd be good to get you your opinion. But I think this seems to be the only way. Ben? We saw it with Donald with, Bo- with Boris Johnson as well. Boris Johnson, the populist, who ran out of steam eventually, and Brexit. Yes, Ben. I I I would agree to an, a, certain, a certain extent, but I feel like we've tried that and we are still where we are. Um, and at the moment, I mean, you've only got to listen to somebody only this week, or I think it was last week, um, Andrea Ledson talking about Brexit four years on and Whittacombe, obviously, talking about Brexit four years on. The level of delusion that, that those who are still banging the drum for it have is, is quite frightening. It, it genuinely is. She was saying she's delighted with Brexit. Andrea Ledson, mm. and she was able to put that forward in a reasonably coherent series of sentences that were were challenged. It was Matthew Wright, I believe, it was speaking to Anne Widdicombe, um, and I can't remember who it was speaking to to, to Andrea Ledson, but she wasn't overly challenged. Um, I think it was Nick Ferrari. That was that was who it was. He he gave her a list of things that actually haven't gone so well. And she referred to it, she wrote it off, she just dismissed it as, well, that's a list you've put together. We could take those things one by one and dismantle them. But I'm delighted with Brexit because it's given us this, this, this and this opportunity. And it, it's still, as far as I'm concerned, going unchallenged. Something I know that um, Emily Maitlis picked up when she left the BBC and went to form the news agents with John Sopel and the others and Lewis Goodall, was the the false equivalence that she she noticed during her time, her tenure at Newsnight, was just part and parcel of the way they did things at the BBC. So it would take them, um, you know, five minutes to find 500 economists that would um, speak negatively about what Brexit would mean for the UK. And it would take them five days to find one economist that would come and present the opposing view. They'll stick them both on a panel, giving the audience the the impression that both views were equally valid and shared by the same number of people, which creates this false equivalence. But what I've noticed Fiona Bruce now doing with Question Time, and she does this nearly every week, if there's an overriding consensus of opinion from the audience and the panel, she will say, is there anybody here that actually thinks differently, that thinks the Rwanda plan is a good idea. She'll get maybe one hand, maybe two from an audience of 100, 150. But she will then go straight to those people and get their opinion, allow them both to speak, giving the same weight of time to the opposing argument, if there is one, as the the consensus, which is the same. That's false equivalence. And she's it's still happening now. Mm. So I think if, if if you ask the audience a question and one hand goes up out of 100, maybe two, maybe even three, you don't go to those people and see what they think because they're in the overwhelming minority. That That's not balance. If 97, 98% of people think the same thing about Rwanda or about um, Rishi Sunak's comments about trans people, you don't just go to the person that thinks the opposite and say, oh, well, why do you think that? That's interesting. Tell us about what you think. That that has got to be until that kind of um, journalistic approach is 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 nailed down, then I don't think we're going to move forward very far. Someone put together a brilliant clip of Laura Koonsberg ending an interview with uh, Yvette Cooper uh, and then ending an interview with Kemi Badnock, and they, they they splice it together, you know, so to show how she concluded an interview. And she concluded the interview with um, Yvette Cooper by saying, "Well." Lots of people would disagree with you on that, but thank you for putting your, your case forward. She ended the interview with Kemi Badnot by saying, we could talk all, literally, we could talk all day. We could talk much, much more about this. And you kind of think, 
yeah, it's little things like that. The majority of people still aren't picking up that are still happening on the most trusted. Because whatever you think of the BBC, it is rightly trusted as a reliable news source, along with ITV, along with, with Sky. Uh, and of course, the bar has fallen so low. We talk about GBBs, we talk about GB News, we talk about Talk TV as being, you know, an exemplar of absolutely terrible journalism. So the BBC hasn't got to do that well to actually, you know, raise the bar a little bit the other way. So I, I worry that some of the things that led to where we are that, that that seem to come to a head in 2016 haven't been addressed. And Max is right that um, the, the, the popular news shows like Tucker Carlson, like Fox News and now uh, GB News have certainly made that situation worse. Obviously, social media as well. The, the fact that, you know, we, we, we're harking back to a time before social media where people only got their news from a very, very limited number of sources that were pretty much fact-checked. But now yeah. you've got the Tory party pretending to be an, an independent fact-checking uh, service during an election campaign, and nobody does anything about it. You used that to have the news in the States go, uh, didn't so much happen here, but they would go, these are the facts. And then at the end, mm. they would go, this is our opinion, or this is my opinion from the yeah. journalist. And we don't have that level of separation. No. We never had that level Intertwine of separation. now, yeah, yeah. But in the States, it used to have that. But over here, I always felt it was just very factual. Like, you never see a news reporter really react, especially on the BBC, to, like, a horrific news story. It would just be, like, blank face. Rob, what are your thoughts? Where did this all begin? Oh, my God. I think... Uh, I, sorry, this is just such a big picture, but I think it's it's just um, a lack of rational thinking skills in the population. And I think it goes back to education. I think we should be teaching rational thought in schools, teaching people how to, you know, avoid this false equivalence. It comes back to education. And what's one of the things the Tories attack? What do the polls tell us skews most? Labour-Tory voting. The more one is educated, the more one votes for Labour rather than the Tories. They're attacking education and rational thinking is one of the victims of that. Is there that was a leak. Picture? Sorry. No, that's fine. I mean, there was a leak saying that Rishi Sunak didn't want to fund university education because they don't vote for him anyway. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's not so shocking. Like... When you, look at, you look at the demographic breakdown of any poll, it's just shocking how... The more the education level goes up, the more the vote skews to the progressive rather than conservative parties. It's... There was a there was a there's obviously been the Iraq war, which brought a lot of distrust towards Labour and government in general in the UK. But I mean, stuff like that's been going on for for decades, where the government goes off half cocked yeah. on information and creating a war. The Obama thing's quite an interesting one. I'd say that caused a lot of an eruption across the United States. Obama being elected and the right wing and the far well the far right going absolutely berserk that America finally had a black president. I'm sure mm. that added to it and incensed Fox News. I mean, like Trump went off on a crazy conspiracy theory that Obama wasn't mm. wasn't American yeah, because of his skin color. And then, you know, you saw these amazing clips where people were interviewing um, MAGA supporters about Donald Trump and no one being there for his birth, but they don't want to question it. Mm. On that cheerful note... <laughs> Bye bye. Thank uh, you guys. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank bye you guys. Bye. Be sure to tune in next week for another exciting story from the files of Police Squad.